0: If you got your Bible, to turn to Acts chapter eight. In fact, at Battle Creek, I need to just say this to you: If there's an empty seat that's not on the aisle, would you move in and uh, let the empty seats be on the aisles? So that because there's people still coming in, they need to be able to find a seat. I don't want them tripping all over you uh, as they do that. But Acts chapter eight is where we are today. We're going to continue reading through the book of Acts uh, at this week and next week. And so we just got two more weeks in this series, and then we're going to begin a series called Wonder. And and we're going to look at miracles in Scripture and all through Scripture throughout the rest of June and July. And some of our favorite guests uh, to the church, Ted Cunningham and Fred Lowry, who everybody loves, both of them. In fact, when they come, people are like, hey, why don't you go away for a while and let Ted preach? And and, and so Ted is going to preach one time. Fred's going to preach one time. And and we're going to walk through favorite miracles in the Bible through June and July. It's going to be a great series, but Acts chapter 8 is where we are How many of you have enjoyed this process of walking through the book of Acts? Let me just see your hand. Okay, we've gotten great feedback from this. And I would just say to you that uh, I hope that you have learned a little bit more about how to read the Bible and to work through the Bible, not just that you need to, but that we've actually put tools in your hand to help you do that and to walk through a passage of Scripture. And and today we're going through eight where we left off the, the story of Philip the evangelist. And next week, don't miss next week. Listen, next week as we finish the Acts series, uh, we're going to talk about a guy who outside of Jesus is the most revered and influential person in all of Christendom, uh, the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's beginning and his life, and, and uh, he's one of the most beloved saints of the church all over the world, but his story didn't start out like Peter's story. He started out as an enemy uh, of Jesus Christ, and, and he was uh, attacking the church of Jesus. And his story goes to show you that no matter how far you've gone or how far you are from the Lord, you're never too far, and you've never outreached the grace of God. In fact, if you know somebody who thinks that they've out-sinned the grace of God or ha- have somehow outshot the coverage of God... God, then next week you need to bring him. It'd be a perfect week for you to bring that person with you next Sunday, and, and uh, we'll look at it. But today, Acts chapter 8, we're going to pick up where we left off. Let's start with the second part of verse 1, where it says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers, except for the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. I want you to circle those words, Judea and Samaria, uh, in in your Bible, if you would. We'll come back to that in a minute. And last week, we talked about how the church is growing and growing and growing. They are adding, and now they are multiplying. And day by day by day, they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, And we saw last week they had problems, just like you would imagine. As the church got bigger, problems came with that. People come, problems come, right? That's just the way that it works. And we saw how they address those problems with people. And they put people on the problems and assign people to the problems. And people like Philip and Stephen stepped up and they got involved in the church. And and here's the main idea, if you're taking notes, out of Acts chapter 8, it's this, that commitment always requires action. Commitment always requires action. And that's true in every facet of our life. And these people in the early church, listen, they were committed. They were committed to Jesus. They were committed to the church. They were committed to the mission. In fact, they were so committed. Just a few weeks ago, we looked at a passage where it says they sold property and they sold homes and they brought all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet uh, for them to meet the needs of people in the body. They were all in, right? And they were fully, fully, fully committed to what God was was doing. Commitment requires action. And it goes for so many things in our lives, right? That's true in your marriage. It's true in your family. It's true with your children. It's true with your education. It's true with your career. It's true with every part of your life, right? The commitment requires us to act upon it. And if you committed to something, you have to follow that up with some action in your life. When an athlete commits to a school, what happens? They act on it, right? A kid can't say, hey, I commit to OU or I commit to OSU or I commit to Arkansas or commit to Notre Dame or whatever, and and then uh, say, okay, I committed, I did my part, right? No, that's not the end of the story for them. They got to show up in in August or July or September or whenever that plays out. They got to go to class, they got to go to practice, they got to play the sport that they committed to play. Why? Because commitment without action is not really a commitment. And if you, in fact, if you go to a car dealership and you buy a car on credit, you commit to make 36 months or 60 months of payments, right? And if somewhere around month 11, you decide, I'm done with that. Some guy in a big truck is going to show up, right? And he's going to take your truck or he's going to take your car. Why? Because commitment must be followed up by action or there is a consequence. And that's true in life. And you say, well, Alex, you teach us all the time that, hey, we can't do anything to earn our salvation. And that's true. You can't. I stand by that. That's theologically correct. You can't do anything to earn your salvation, just like you can't do anything to keep your salvation, just like you can't do anything to lose your salvation. But it does not add up that you would commit your life to Jesus Christ and then go about it as if nothing happened. Right? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Something did happen something great happened. In fact, the greatest thing on the planet happened in you. And when something great happens, there's a response that comes. And there's a response that plays out of our lives. And and for Stephen and Philip, right, their commitment was to get involved in that new church, the New Testament church. For Stephen, we looked at it last week, that meant he ultimately gave his life, right? He was stoned at the end of last chapter, uh, chapter seven, and he was killed. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 is that the believers are being persecuted. And they scatter, right, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And the temptation is to read that and think, well, they just couldn't hack it. But that's not the case at all. Jump down a couple of verses into verse 4. And look what it says. It says, but, and remember we said, anytime the word but appears in Scripture, you got to go what's before it, what's after it, and is it a big but, is it a little but? This is a huge but, right? It says, but the believers who were scattered preached. The good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, which by the way, in case you're wondering, this is not Philip the disciple Philip. This is another Philip. Same name, it's confusing, which is why we don't hire a bunch of Alexes around here, right? But Philip... Went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Now, back up a couple of verses. I had you circle a couple of words Judea and Samaria. Now, I want you to think back, and if you don't remember, flip back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus told the disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. It says they filled Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. They filled Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. And, And Jerusalem, all done, right? Check that off. We can check that city off. We can mark that city off. What's next on the list? Jesus said Judea and then Samaria, right? And so when these believers faced danger and threats and persecution, did they give up? Absolutely not. Did they say, well, I guess this thing is over? No, that's not where they played it out, and that's not how they played it out. They were committed, and committed people follow through. And too much heat in Jerusalem? Well, we are supposed to go to Gia, right? And we are supposed to go to Samaria anyway. And and so look what happens to Philip in Samaria. Verse 6, crowds listened intently to Philip. That Greek word means that they literally paid attention as if they were one because they were eager to hear the message and see the miraculous signs that he did. In fact, I would say to you today, I think in our culture and our world today, especially in America, that that people are eager to see the miraculous, right? And and I get asked the question on a regular basis, hey, how come in America we don't see miracles like the rest of the world is seeing, and, and people who are, you know, healed from the, sick and and raised from the dead and on and on and on and, and you know and i would just say to you I don't have all the answers to that question in fact I would put myself in the camp of the people who asked the question and, and are wondering what what that is about uh but I would say to you aren't you so glad that we get to see so many miracles here at our church and we get to see it over and over in fact last Sunday in the guest reception five people came in and one Sunday and told me about miracles that God had performed in their hearts and in their lives or in their families. And, and it's just fascinating to watch. I'm so grateful that we get to watch that play out, which is why I'm so excited about this next series called Wonder about miracles as we look into the God who still does miracles. It says that, verse 7, many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims. In other words, God's getting their attention. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed." Right, people who were sick had been healed, and and it's not just physical healings that play out in our church. I hear this week three marriages who who were healed. People saying, Pastor, you know, our marriage was headed to court, we were headed to divorce, we were headed into the toilet, and and God stepped in, and our marriage is in a different place on a different plane, and God's doing miraculous work in there. In fact, speaking of that, I would say to you that uh, this starting this Wednesday night for six Wednesday nights in a row, we're doing a class called Building Strong Relationships, where we have invited six professional Christian counselors to come and teach one Wednesday night each to help people with their relationships. And so if you're an empty nester, it's relevant to you. If you're in premarital counseling, it's relevant to you. And and we'll help you with that. We'll watch that play out. But verse seven says evil spirits were cast out and, and they were screaming as they left their victims. And look at what verse eight says. And there was great joy in that city. Now, you want to know if something's an authentic move of God or or not, uh, that's a great indicator. There will be joy. With a great move of God, there is joy. Where where people are left feeling guilty, that's not God, right? Where people are left feeling shamed, that's not God. That's not how God signs His name. God leaves those who are committed to Him full of joy. Now, look at verse 9. A man named Simon... Had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him. That's the exact same Greek word as back up in verse 6 of how they were listening to Philip. In fact, I would just make the point there. Just because someone has a lot of people following them does not mean they have the truth right that is not the indicator okay and that's not the litmus test clearly as you look at this text because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic now let's just think through that for a second what was philip doing philip was doing miracles what was simon the sorcerer doing he was doing magic and there is a big 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 difference between miracles and magic a big difference miracles lead to joy miracles lead to a commitment to god miracles point to jesus christ magic is a trick it is a show, and it points people to the one performing the magic, not to Jesus. And what separates this false message from the true message? The true message will always be followed up by a commitment to God. That's the marker of the truth. Now look at verse 12. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and many women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed, the sorcerer believed, and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip had performed. Now what happened here? They committed their lives to Jesus. That's what happened. And immediately... That was followed up with a response, and it was followed up with a step of obedience. It was followed up with a step of action. Why? Because commitment always leads to action. It always leads to action. And so what's the action here? The action was baptism. They followed up with baptism. And I'm amazed today in our culture today that I've talked to people on a regular basis who say, I gave my life to Christ or I recently have given my life to Christ, and they think that somehow baptism is optional for them. And somehow they think, well, I'm going to opt out of that. And they think that's important for some people, or maybe it was important at one day in church history, but I'm going to take a pass on that. And they think it's optional, but I would say to you, it's not optional. This is about obedience to Christ. And some people have taken a pass on baptism because they don't understand it. And so I just want to sidebar for a second in my ADD fashion, okay? I want to sidebar for a second on what is baptism. And I want to answer that question in in three little points, okay? And, And let's start with this. Number one, baptism is a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. It is a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, it's how we are to biblically tell the world that we now believe in Jesus Christ. So why does that matter? And why is that important? Well, Luke, who also wrote Acts, right? Same author... We looked at it a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 12, verse 8. He tells us a statement that Jesus Christ made. And what Jesus said is, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the angels in heaven. Jesus said that. And when we looked at last week the story of Stephen, remember? Stephen said, I saw up into heaven and I saw Jesus standing next to the God on the right hand of God. And he was standing, he was acknowledging Stephen in front of angels in heaven. So it's a public profession. Number two, baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. In other words, <clears throat> what happened to you on the inside spiritually, baptism is the outside picture of that. It's a picture of what Jesus has already done. It is a picture of you and I dying to our sin and coming alive in Jesus Christ. If you've been around uh, for any number of years, you've probably seen me do this illustration. This is the illustration that my youth pastor did with me when I was a kid because I uh, gave my life to Christ at a youth camp, and then I wanted to be baptized, and my parents said, no, you were already baptized as an infant because my parents flew me to Egypt to have me baptized in the Coptic church when I was about six weeks old. And so when I came to my dad and said, now I need to follow in baptism, he said, you've already been baptized. And so I got on my bicycle and I rode down to my youth pastor's house and I said, hey, I can't be saved anymore. And he laughed, right? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, because I don't understand theology. I-, I didn't know it was the blood of Jesus that saved me. I thought the baptism was somehow connected to that. And I said, I can't be baptized. I think I could do it, but I would have to come live with you. <laughs> <clears throat> he said, yeah, let's wait, right? And he showed me this illustration. He said, take your arm like that and pretend that's the top of the water. Pretend this is you in the water. Melissa, what does that look like? Looks like the cross, right? And when you go under the water, it is a picture of Jesus dying on that cross and being buried in that grave. Take it on the sins of the world. But it's also a picture of you dying to yourself and saying, I can't save myself. I need a savior because I'm not holy on my own. And when you come out of that water, it's a picture of Jesus coming out of that grave, being resurrected to new life, which is, by the way, why he can be your Lord and Savior, because he's not dead right? A dead man can't be anybody's savior, but he is alive. And so it's a picture of him coming back to life. But it's also a picture of you dying to yourself and him coming to live inside of you because you died to yourself and you asked, it's a beautiful picture of what happened in your heart. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of us dying to our sin, dying to our past and coming back to life. It's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if all you have is the picture, which is what I had as a baby, without the relationship, it doesn't mean anything, right? The picture with the relationship means a great deal. Let me give you one more thing real quick. Baptism, number three, is a celebration of your salvation. It's a celebration. It's a party. It is a time to celebrate. It is a get happy time, an awesome time. When we baptize children around here in our elementary ministry, which, by the way, 75 kids this last week gave their life to Christ at camp. 75 kids. We do a big party called Alpha. And and that's not some somber occasion where we all get quiet and reflective, right? That's not what we do at baptism. We we get a band and a cake and some balloons and we throw a party. Why? Because the Bible tells us the angels in heaven are throwing a party and we want to celebrate with the angels in heaven. We're just joining into their party when when we do that. So that's what baptism is. Now let me just talk for just a couple of minutes on why do we need to be baptized? I've preached this before and given hundreds of points uh, about about Why we need to be baptized, and subpoints and subpoints of subpoints. I just want to give you one point today. We do it because Jesus said so. We do it because Jesus commanded it. Matthew chapter twenty-eight verses nineteen and twenty. That's known as the Great Commission. Jesus said, as he talked to his disciples, he said, "I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And with that authority, what I say to you is therefore go." And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, baptizing them, say baptizing, baptizing Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the end of the day. Age. And so it is the command of Jesus Christ. It, it, that's repeated in all four Gospels. It's repeated in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And it's fulfilled as we read the book of Acts. Each step along the way, the disciples were being added and baptized, added and baptized, added and baptized. And it's clearly a command. And if you are committed to Jesus, you will obey the command. And Jesus was so serious about <coughs> baptism that he got baptized himself. He didn't need that, right? He did that as an example to you and me and, and for us to follow in his example. And so when we get baptized, we're simply following the example of Jesus Christ. That's what we are doing in that he was baptizing himself. and he told. And by the way, the story of Jesus being baptized is told in all four of the Gospels. You know, there's only a handful of stories that are told in all four of the Gospels. But this is one of them. To say to you and me, this is such a big, big, big deal. And when we get baptized, we're following the example of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do, right? But there's still all kinds of objections that I get from people. And when I talk to people about baptism, and I can see it, I can tell, I can I hear it in people's voices. And one of those is this one. I was baptized as an infant. To which I would say to you, so was I. Right? I, I was. I don't remember it, but I've seen the pictures of my naked rear end being held up, you know, by that priest. A- and I was baptized as an infant just like some of you were baptized as an infant. And what I want to say to you about that is great. Right? Great. It's so awesome that in your past, Jesus was so important to your family that when you were a baby, they were so concerned about your spiritual health and your spiritual growth that they had a priest come in or a minister come in or you went to a church and they sprinkled you or baptized you as a baby. But can I just say to you today, out of love, that baptism is out of order. I'm not saying to you it's a bad thing. I'm not saying to you it's wrong. I'm just saying to you it is out of order. Baptism biblically follows salvation. And when you were a baby, you weren't saved yet, right? You weren't old enough to make a conscientious decision of your will to give your life to Christ. But now you are, and there is nothing keeping you from getting baptized and following the Lord. And in fact, the way I see it is to those of you who were baptized in an infant, that was a promise for today. That one day, one day, when you could make a decision, you would make a decision, and you did make a decision, and now you need to follow Jesus in baptism and make that decision and attach that to the decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. Another common objection I hear is that I was baptized, but I was sprinkled when I was baptized, and I would say to you, that's that's fine, it's fine, but it's not the command of Jesus. And it's not following the command of Jesus. And I'm not saying it didn't count. I'm not saying it's not right. And I'm not saying all of those emotional things. And so there's no need for you to get emotionally attached to this conversation because I'm not attaching emotion to it. But the word sprinkled is in the Greek New Testament, but it is nowhere near a passage talking about baptism. It's just not. And I'm not saying it didn't count. I'm saying let's just do it like Jesus did it. That's all I'm saying. In fact, the Greek word baptizo means submerge. That's what the word means. It means to dunk. And there's nothing spiritual about this word. It means to put it all the way under the water. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to get there in a minute. In verse 38, we're going to read a story about baptism. And it says, he went down into the water. The Greek word there is baptizo. He, but we translated it, he went down under the water because that's what that word means. And, and, and so the way that Jesus commanded and the way his followers did it and the way that Jesus was baptized was all by submersion. He went under the water. So today, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've made that commitment to follow Jesus and give your life to Christ, but yet you have followed, failed to follow through with believer's baptism, that's a problem. It's a problem. And I would say to you, in the lives of thousands of believers that I've gotten to know over the years, there are two major, major, major roadblocks to spiritual growth. And the two that I have seen over and over and over again in people's lives, the first one is this one, baptism. That you will not grow in your spiritual walk. You will not mature in your relationship with Jesus until you obey Him with what you know. And you know that baptism is the first step of obedience. The second one is giving, and we're not going to talk about that today. We will one day. I'm not going to tell you when because you won't come, but we, we will talk about it one day. But, but, but in, in the story, as it plays out, baptism, listen, that's a problem for you and you need to obey and cross over that step and obey the Lord. And, and in fact, you can make that commitment today to do that today and follow through with him today. And you can let that commitment be followed up with action. In fact, I, I just want to pray for all of our campuses today, across all of our campuses. Would you just bow your heads and would you close your eyes? We're not done, but I, I just want to call a timeout and I want to pray for you. And before I pray for those who need to be baptized, I want to pray for those who need to give their life to Christ. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's your first step. Baptism is irrelevant to you until you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And and, and so I I just want to give you an opportunity right now where you're seated on all of our campuses. If you've never given your life to Jesus, right there just under your breath, would you just pray and say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin, and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you for saving me. Thank you that you were not embarrassed or ashamed of me, but you died on that cross, naked, on my behalf. Thank you for saving me. If you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says the angels are throwing a party right now. And if you just gave your life to Christ, your very next step is baptism. In a moment when I ask if you need to be baptized, if you just prayed to give your life to Christ, you need to be baptized. But there are others of you, yours is out of order, like mine was. You were baptized as a baby and then later you gave your life to Christ and you need to get your baptism in the proper order. There are others of you that you were sprinkled and you just need to do it in the right method And there's many of you that you pray to receive Christ. You just haven't taken that step of obedience. And you need to commit to do that. I I, want to pray for you today. So all across all of our campuses, if that's you, you need to take the step of obedience called baptism. Nobody looking except for me. I don't want to embarrass anybody. last thing I want to do on any of our campuses today is embarrass somebody. But you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I, I, that's my next step. I need to be baptized. Would you just slip your hand high all up all across the room? Just hold it up high so that I can see it. Uh, uh, the lights are bright in my eyes. Just hold it up high so that I can see it. I see hands in almost every single section, okay? In almost every single section, I see hands going up. In every section now, I see hands going up all across the room. At Midtown, would you just slip your hand up? At Downtown, DuPage, in Cairo, just slip your hand up. I, I need to be baptized. I need to take that step of obedience, And so just hold your hand up while I pray for you, okay? Just to say, hey, God, he's praying for me. Father, for all these hands, dozen or more hands in in this room and across all of our campuses, God, only you know how many hands. I pray that you would give them the courage today, courage to step out in an act of obedience to their Lord and Savior. Not to a church and not to a pastor, but to their Lord and Savior, they would obey you. Give them courage to take that step. And would you bless them through it? And would you use their courage and use their obedience to encourage others to take steps of obedience? Now, before I say amen, if your hand is up, I just want you to look at me. The rest of you, keep your head bowed and eyes closed. Just if your hand is up. Right here, i got a couple just side by side, right? And back over here, ma'am. And right here, ma'am. Anybody else in this section, let me just find you. Back here, uh, I've got a couple side by side. Or, and then a man right here. And then on the back row... Anybody else over here in this section? I just want to see you, okay? What about here in my middle section? Just slip your hands up. Okay, right here, right here. here let's just do this real quick. If I can't see all of you because of the light. If your hand is up, would you just stand up so that I can find all of you at one time and just speak to you? At every campus, if that's you, would you just stand up where you are so that I can see you? Just stand up, just stand up. Everybody else, you're still praying. Everybody else, you're still praying. Okay. I want to say to you, according to the Scripture, today you can take care of this. And you can follow the Lord in believers' baptism. And we got a pastor right here that I would love to just get with you and answer your questions about baptism. And then if you're ready and you want to, we can take care of it today in just a few minutes at the end of the service. And so if you're willing to talk to this pastor uh, about your decision and your need to be baptized, would you just grab your purse, grab your stuff, and just step out and make your way right down here so that he can talk to you, okay? And so just say, excuse me, slip out down the aisle and make your way around to this guy, and he's gonna tell you uh, all you need to know about baptism, okay? And so you don't need to look up, but you can just start applauding as these are taking steps of encouragement and obedience. And if somebody's with you, if somebody's with you, you want them to go with you, just say, come and go with me, okay? If your wife is with you or your husband is with you and you want them to come with you, just say, come and go with me. And, and they'll, they'll go with you and that's perfectly okay. If you got a child with you, just say, hey, come and go with me. Take them by the hand and bring them. They're still coming. Let's go ahead and continue to applaud these. At Midtown, they're directing you there. Downtown, they're directing you there. DuPage, they're directing you. Now, let's let's continue in our reading, okay? And I just felt like we need to call a time out there and give people the chance to obey uh, today. And maybe in a few minutes, we'll watch some of those follow the Lord in believer's baptism as we end our service with worship. Let's go back to the text and, and verse 26. Jump down to verse 26. And let's read there. And it says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. You know, sometimes God gives you direction and you don't know where you're going and you don't know what that's going to end up, and you don't know what the destination is going to be, you just got to obey, and you get up and you go. For Philip, that meant Samaria, by the way, is 30 miles north of Jerusalem, and they're walking. And so Philip's got about a day's journey just to get to the highway, and just to get to the road that's going to take him all the way up to Samaria. And then he's just got to keep going until he knows what God wants. And that's the way it is in our journey with Christ. We didn't know uh, a few weeks ago, we're barking up a door at, at OU, we're barking up a door at Mayo Clinic, we're barking up a door, at Texas Children's. We're barking up a door here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we're saying, God, just open the doors and shut the doors. Now, according to your will, we want to obey you. This is what we know. This is the path we think that you told us to take. And we're just going to take it. Until you show us otherwise, we're going to walk down this road. And, And the Bible says in verse 27, so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, you just don't Google it. Okay. I would just encourage you don't Google it it's going to take you weird places. Just ask, ask your community group leader. Okay, what, what what a eunuch is. Great authority under the Queen of Ethiopia. Let me just say this. A eunuch, by the way, in that day they were high-ranking officials. And the reason they were high, because they were very trustworthy. And here's what I mean by that. They could be trusted around the queens. For obvious reasons, right? And, and, and so uh You just go home and look up eunuch later if you don't know what it is, okay? And so the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. That's what the Bible says. And now he was returning, and and this Ethiopian Jew has come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, the headquarters of the church, right? And there's a big, big Jewish Ethiopian population. Even to this day, there's a big Jewish uh, Ethiopian population. It says, seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. I don't know if you've ever gone to a conference And you go to the conference, they give you some material or a book, or you purchase a book in the bookstore at the conference. And then on your way home on the plane, you're reading the book, right? That's kind of what's playing out here. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's got the prophet, the scroll, and he's reading it. And and he's looking at the book of Isaiah. And and in verse 29, it says that the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Star that verse in your Bible and, and just write instant obedience there. The hallmark of someone who is committed to the Lord is they are listening. They are continually listening, saying, God, what are you saying now? The Holy Spirit, what are you saying now? I want to obey you with all of my heart. What are you speaking to me? They, they, they have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, and they are listening to him, and they are ready to respond whenever and however the Spirit leads them. And sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? But we obey the Lord when he prompts and when he calls, and this is instant obedience playing out in this text. In fact, maybe you raised your hand earlier or maybe you didn't raise your hand earlier and the the Lord's still dealing with you. And and still, you're still sitting here in one of our uh, churches today and you're thinking, I should have gone with those people to talk about baptism. I should have uh, stepped out. I should have raised my hand and you didn't. I would say to you, obey. Just stand up right now and make your way to the back of the room. There's no shame in that whatsoever. That's instant obedience to the Lord. And the Lord blesses instant obedience to him. Look, Look at verse 30. And it says, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I? It probably sounded more like, how can I? Unless someone <laughs> instructs me, right? Because he's a unit, right? And, and uh, Michael Jackson, right? I me, mean, this is playing out. Unless someone instructs me. In fact, let me just ask this question. That was funny. Let me, do, let me just ask you this question. Sometimes I crack myself. H- how many people in your life are waiting for you to explain Jesus to them? In your circle of influence, that, that they are confused about God, they misunderstand Jesus and the church and the Bible, and they need someone just to answer a question for them. They need someone just to clear it up for them, right? That's you. That's what I'm saying to you. God puts you in that circle. You are the church at blank. Wherever God puts you in that circle, he put the church of Jesus there in you and through you for you to carry the gospel to the world. And that's you. You need to answer questions. You need to step up and, and be the rep of the church of Jesus Christ in the lives of the people that, that you come in contact with. And it says he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Listen to it. He was led like a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. For who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or about someone else? And and by the way, Isaiah's chapters uh, 52 and 53, those are referred to as the suffering servant prophecies. And they are clearly about Jesus who died on a cross and rose again for your sin and my sin. But in that day, the religious leaders didn't view that passage that way. And the religious teachers and the Pharisees and the lawmakers, they did not read that passage that way. They weren't reading it about Jesus. In fact, I've had conversation with Jewish people around the world and, and about these passages of Scripture and say, what do you do with these passages of Scripture? And they say, uh, that's not about Jesus. And I said, well, who is it about? And they said it's about the Holocaust. I had one Jewish man tell me that that passage of Scripture is about the Holocaust. Now, it's a tragedy what happened to six million Jews needlessly during the Holocaust. But that passage of Scripture is not talking about the Holocaust. So how how do you understand that so clearly? Well, Luke is writing both Luke and Acts, right? Remember Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking in a resurrected state with these two disciples to a place called Emmaus. And on Easter, that's the passage we used on Easter Sunday. And we walk through that journey where Jesus is walking with those two disciples and he's talking to them and the Bible says, and he's explaining to them the prophecies concerning himself. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 26, he showed them how the Messiah had suffer. According to Isaiah, Jesus himself said, these texts are about me. And so here's Philip, by the way, he's heard this story, right? And he knows about Isaiah 53 and he's walking with this, or he's in the carriage with this Ethiopian who's saying, help me understand this passage of scripture. And so Philip is ready. He's ready with an answer, which by the way, is what the Bible tells us to do. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you ready to give a testimony, ready to share your story, to tell all about Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Verse 35, it says, So beginning with the same scriptures, Philip told him the good news. What good news? The good news about Jesus Christ. Philip explained to this Ethiopian that, yes, Jesus died, and yes, Jesus suffered, and yes, Jesus rose again. But then he backed up two verses in Isaiah 53, all the way back up to verse 5, and, and listen to what he says. In verse 5, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He suffered because of what we did, not what he did. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. In other words, it's our fault, right? It's our fault. We left God's path to follow our own. We turned away from God. He didn't turn away from us. It's not the other way around. God did not abandon us. We abandoned him. Yet he laid the sins of us all upon him and upon the Lord. In other words, you and I deserve full punishment for our sin. But Jesus paid it all. We deserve death and we deserve suffering. Yet Jesus suffered and Jesus died in our place. He died so that we would not have to. Then he came back to life again so that we can live with him forever and ever and ever. And the cross and the resurrection, that's where the power of Christianity comes from. And we join him in that by dying to our sin and coming alive in the spirit of God. Now look what happens to this Philip and this Ethiopian. Jump down to verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water. Again, submersion. That's what the word baptism means. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. I mean, that's some sort of Star Wars something or Star Trek something playing out here, which would have been cool to watch. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north. And he preached the good news there until in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Oh, I wish I had time to expound on this journey that he made up that coast, up to Caesarea. In fact, those of you who go to Israel with me in January, you're going to see this firsthand. And you're going to see this text play out. It will come so alive in your eyes that he ends up in the place called Caesarea, which is where the gospel entered into Gentile world. And the reason you and I have Jesus and the gospel is because it passed through the place called Caesarea, Caesar's fortress, right there on the sea and the Mediterranean Sea. And you watch this play out. And when do we see Philip again? You don't see Philip again until Acts chapter 21. And verse 8, and you see this play out 20 years later, he's still going strong, he's still preaching the gospel, he's got a wife and four daughters, and they're in ministry, and you see this playing out. And I want to say to you that when you are committed and you follow up that commitment with action, when your response is instant obedience, good things play out in your life. And it has the power to affect you, and it has the power to affect your family. And you need to let your commitment always be accompanied with action. That's the definition of obedience. A few weeks ago, a guy approached me in the guest reception. He said, Pastor, several months ago you were preaching, and there was a phrase that you used that the Holy Spirit jumped off of that phrase onto my spirit and just began communicating to me. And my life has been radically turned upside down and changed all because of this one phrase that you said a few months ago. And and he's just going on and on and on about how radically and what a a major turn his life took for the better and what God is using him for and doing through him and and blessing him. And, And he just said that phrase. And I was like, hey, just out of curiosity, what was the phrase that I said a few months ago? And he said, Here's the phrase, and I quote you, you gotta move it from the left to the right. I said, What? He said, The phrase is, you gotta move it from the left to the right. And I said, And that changed your life. And he said, Man, words cannot describe how much it changed my life. I said, I gotta just confess to you, I don't understand. I say some really profound things at times, and I say some really dumb things at times, but I don't even know what I meant by that. And and, and he said, you were talking about your Franklin Covey day planner. And I said, really? And he said, and then I knew what he was talking about. And he said, you've got to move it from the left to the right. And here's what he's talking about. That on the left, and I don't do this on paper anymore, I do it electronically, but on the left, I have my to-do list. And my goals and the things that I want to accomplish. And on the right is the calendar. And and if you don't take some goal or priority or something you're committed to that's on your list of things and move it to a time slot, you will likely never get it done. And so he said, that changed my life forever. And I said, really, tell me about it. And he said, I took this idea that God put in my heart and I put it at 8.30 on Monday morning that I would make a call and I would search it out. And he said, I had been teaching a Bible study in my place of business in my employment, and about four or five guys a year come and do the Bible study, but I just felt like the Lord wanted the audience to be bigger, and, and so I just made a call to somebody that I knew who knew somebody who knew somebody, and I offered my services to Bible schools around the world. And he said, in the last three months, all of a sudden, I teach via Skype hundreds of Bible students a week on my computer in my home. And he said it would have never happened had I not taken that dream that God put in my heart and that vision that God had given me and made one phone call. He said I had to move it into my calendar to say I'm going to do something about this today or tomorrow or this week. And, And as he told me that story, I just thought, listen, if something is a priority and you never assign it a spot on the calendar, you may never do it. The power of words put into a calendar, actually lived out, can revolutionize your life. And the question today is, listen, is it really a priority? And if it is, what are you going to do about it? What, what are you going to do about it? See, we've all made commitments, right? We've all failed to assign it an action, and, and it's just dead in the water, Right? And when we don't follow through on that commitment. And when we don't do it. And unless we follow up on our commitments with actions, listen, they are not priorities. They aren't. And so here's what I want us to do across all of our campuses this morning. I want us to pray. And I want you, not corporately, individually. And I want everybody on all of our campuses this morning, I, I just want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. So I just want you to get your notepad out or your tablet or your phone or whatever, and I want you to write these two questions down because I don't want you just to interact with them today. I want you to interact with them on a daily basis and, and to ask God, what commitment have I failed at? In other words, what have I committed to but haven't followed up with action? And for some of you, listen, uh, that's a commitment to God, and I, I'm going to give you these on a slide in just a second, Okay. That may be a commitment to God. And for you, it's, hey, I need to pray more. If you don't put that on the calendar, you may never pray at all. I need to read my Bible more. If you don't put that on the calendar, listen, it may be a commitment to your spouse. And let's be honest, some of you have not kept your commitments to your spouse. And maybe what you need to put on your calendar this week is, hey, on Wednesday nights, I'm going to come to that counseling, strong building strong relationships class for six weeks. Wednesday night, 6.30, six Wednesdays, I'm going to put it in, and I'm going to live it out. Or maybe it's a commitment to lose weight, or get in shape, or find a new career path, or oh, who knows what God has spoken to you about. The bottom line is this, what's the last thing God told you to do that you didn't do? In fact, let's just put these questions on the screen if we can. I want you to write them down, and then I want you to pray through both of them. And you pray through that first one and let God give you an answer. You know what I know about God? He's going to answer these. What's the last thing you told me to do, God, that I didn't do? And by the way, he's under no obligation to give you your next assignment until you do the last one. So what what is it? And, And then pray through what action can I do this week to follow through on my commitment? And you just write where you're seated on every campus, you just pray through that and write it down. And let this be a habit in your life to wrestle with these questions on a daily if not weekly basis. And here's what I want to ask. As you're praying through that and dealing with that, when you feel like God's giving you the answer to both of those questions, just stand up. And when the majority of the people are standing, I know we're ready to move on. I don't want to rush you in this process. Just stand up when you got it. It's the essence of our faith, is to look to the Scripture, listen to the Spirit, live it out in obedience, and learn from it. And then we look to the Scripture, and we listen to the Spirit, and we live it out, and we learn from it. And when we don't live it out, we learn from it. And then we go back to the Scripture, and we go back to the Spirit, and He tells us the same thing again, and we move forward in obedience, we're going to worship together today and we're going to watch as those follow through in their first step of obedience believers baptism as they worship the Lord through their obedience may you be encouraged in your obedience let's stand together all across the room and let's lift up Jesus this morning